G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. The story. When he was in Calcutta, he went to the public library and picked up a book called My 41 Years in India by General Lord Roberts. There was one chapter in that book that tells about my people. They are the wildest and the most savage herenting tribes you can ever find in the world. And so that attracted Watkin Roberts' attention. And so he prayed that night and felt that he had to come to be a missionary to these headhunters. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, the late Rachunga Padaiti was from northeastern India, and his father was one of the first of his Ma people group to become a Christian. It was his dream that his son would one day translate the Bible into their tribal language. This is nothing short of remarkable, because just over 100 years ago, this people group was commonly known for being savage headhunters. So, what caused such an amazing transformation? We'll find out today as we hear a conversation that Eric Scadabo recorded with the late Rachunga Padaiti. Rachunga is the founder of the Bibles for the World International Ministry. And some of the music you'll hear on today's program is from a musical that was made about his life. Well, I belong to a small group of uh, tribes there called Mar, a part of the Mizo group. And the Mars are just about 200,000 people. And uh, they are a little bit different from the rest of India because they have a, a look of a Chinese or a Filipino mm-hmm. or Indonesian or some, some people from the Far East. Because long, long ago, maybe about uh, uh, over a millennium ago, they migrated from central China into India. But uh, as they migrate to the West, they fought against a lot of different uh, group of people and they were very ferocious. They worship demons, mm-hmm. and so the demons uh, really uh, work so hard on them, and there's a lot of life uh, was a loss, and they have tremendous fear of evil spirit, and so they live in fear, uh, not only the enemy, but also the, uh, they live in fear of the evil spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's how they are, their life, and uh, so in order to appease the evil spirit, They'll sacrifice a cow or a pig or a goat. Any kind of sickness is uh, considered to be the displeasure of the, the evil spirit. And so they try to appease the evil spirit by killing a cow or a pig or a goat and sacrificing them. Okay, and also your people are from the far northeastern corner of India, way deep in the jungle. Tell us uh, what was along it? the Burma border. Mm-hmm. Tell us, what was it like growing up in the jungle with Bengal tigers, pythons, and <laughs> wild elephants? Well, when I was a little boy, uh, 10 years old, I received the Lord Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Mm-hmm. And uh, even before I became a Christian, there's quite a bit of uh, this wildlife, both uh, the human wildlife as well as the wildlife of the forest. Mm-hmm. We have lots of tigers and, uh, and rhinos, bears and elephants. Uh, 
and lots of wildlife are there. Mm-hmm. And uh, so soon after I became a Christian, my father asked me to go to school so that someday I may translate the Bible into the language of my people. And uh, I asked my father how far the school was. He said 96 miles away. And I had to walk all the way through jungle forests infested by tigers and elephants and rhinos and bears. Wow. And I didn't want to go to school. And so I made one excuse after another. And then one Sunday evening, my father was uh, one of the earliest converts and uh, he was preaching in our local church. The text he used was from the Gospel of John, chapter 13, 1, 3, verse 1. Having loved his own which are in the world, he loved them unto the horizon. That was his own rendering. Mm-hmm. And so saying unto the end, unto the horizon. So at the end of the service, my father and I were the last one to leave the church. And we closed the, the windows and shut the door and walked to our house. The moon was... Uh, on the western horizon, and our house is about a block and a half or two blocks away. And I look up to my father and I said, Daddy, a good preacher. Without even blinking an eye, he said, I know. And I said, Daddy, did you know that there was something wrong in your sermon? And he came down like a roaring lion. And he said, what, something wrong in my sermon? (laughs) I said, very gingerly, I said, fearfully, I said, Daddy, yes. You told the people God's love was unto the horizon. Your voice was booming and loud and clear, but he never told the people how far horizon was. Hmm. And I said, if that is as far as the love of God is unto the horizon, how far is horizon anyway? He said, I don't know. I said, Daddy, if you preach from the pulpit and tell the people what you don't know, I'm not going to school. Hmm. And, uh, and so I said, tell me how far is horizon? Is it as far away from our here to the house, and he didn't even respond. And so we walk into our house, and he went to the bedroom, and I did not see him again for the next two days. It was on the third morning, he said, Ro, let's go up to the mountain. I said, why? He said, well, just climb with me. I'll take your bow and arrow, and maybe there'll be some pheasants and squirrels on the way. So I took a, my bow and arrow, and uh, we climbed the mountain. When we came to the top of the mountain, there's a big tree, an oak tree. And he said, let's climb on the tree. And as we climb on the tree, he said, can you see way down the valley of Assam, about 100 miles away? I said, Daddy, I have seen that many times. And then he said, can you see the smoke rising out in the valley there? I said, yes. And he looked at me and said, now, can you see beyond the valley a long stretch or range of mountain? I said, Daddy, I've seen that many, many times. And then he said, can you see on the top of the mountain where the heaven touched the earth? I said, yes. He said, we call that horizon. Hmm. And if you go there and look from there and you'll see another one like that. And if you go to the second place and look from there, you'll see another one like that. And if you go to the third place and look from there, you'll see another one like that endless process circle right around the world. He said, that's what I call God's love is unto the horizon. Mm. It has no end. It circled the world. And then he looked at me straight in the eye and said, now as you go to school, (laughs) it doesn't matter whether you're on the top of the mountain or down in the valley. God's love will always circle right round about you. 
Hmm. No tiger will do any harm to you. No bears will do any harm to you. No elephants will attack you. None of the wild beasts will ever touch you without the permission of the father. And so we climbed down and I was ready to go to school. Quite an experience to begin my first day out of the village on my way to school. Lord, please save me from the big black bear. I don't want his bows in my hair. When he looks at me, he starts to drool. Now, you began by telling us about your tribe that they were basically animists. Yes. But yet your father was a Christian. How did that yes. come about? Well, in 1904, there was a great revival in the land of Wales in, in the United Kingdom. Mm-hmm. And a young man by the name of Evan Roberts was used by God. And there was another Roberts who was a young man. He was very deeply touched by the great Wales revival. And, uh, and so when the revival was uh, waning, he felt the call of God to become a missionary, and so he left his lead mining and came to India as an independent missionary. Mm-hmm. When he was uh, in Calcutta, he didn't even know where to begin, and he went to the public library and picked up a book called My 41 Years in India by General Lord Roberts. And so he picked up and read there. There was one chapter in that book that tells about my people and General Frederick Roberts' invasion of our mountains. And he, he made a statement in the book that they are the wildest and the most savage head-hunting tribes you can ever find in the world. Hmm. Something like that. And so that attracted Watkin Roberts' uh, attention. And so he prayed that night and felt that he had to come all the way up there. Uh, to be a missionary to these headhunters. And we, when he arrived, the last British outpost, a town called Ijaw, no one seemed to be able to tell him where to go. That one day, he was praying that God will show to him the way to go to these Mar people. And then, amazingly, a lady in, the, in Hampstead, England, sent him a letter, and in the letter, she included five pounds uh, please use this money to save at least one Indian soul. And Robert thought it was too much of a responsibility, and so put the money back into the envelope and laid it there. Mm. And a few days later on, while he was having his devotion, reading the talent stories in the Gospel of Matthew, God spoke to him that if he did not use that money and uh, leave it there in the envelope, then he will be like the one who was given one talent and hid it in the, just waiting for the master's anger. Mm-hmm. And so he went and bought the Gospel of John with the five pounds, all that he could purchase. And through the British mail carriers, he sent this uh, Gospel of John to every tribal chief, mountain village chief throughout the Northeast India. He didn't care whether they could read or not, he just sent them. Mm-hmm. And six months later on, one copy of this Gospel of John returned back to him 
with an inscription, Sir, come yourself and tell us about the meaning of this book mm. and the message. And he felt it was a call of God to go to that village called Senvan, that was where I, I was born. And he went to the British ruler and said, I have an invitation to go to Senvan by the chief. And the British ruler, Colonel uh, Locke, said to him, Robert, such an invitation for he had to be chopped off. They'll make a nice celebration out of you, hmm. and I'll never let you go. Hmm. And, uh, and then the next day, as he came down to the market, he saw four or five young men who looked a little different from the others. And he asked them where they came from. And lo and behold, they said, we came from Senvon, hmm. the village uh, chief who sent that letter to him. And he said, Can you, why, what are you doing here? They said, well, we understand that there's a school and we want to see whether we can go to school and learn how to read and write. Robert said, if you can take me to Selvon and bring me home alive here, I will pay for your one-year room and board and tuition in, 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 in a school. Wow. So he walked six days on foot, six or seven days on foot, mm -hmm. to come to my village with these tribal boys. And when he arrived there, he shared with them the story of, uh, of Jesus. The first day, hundreds of, hundreds of people came. The village is about 3,000 population. And uh, he thought he had a tremendous impact, but soon the crowd was less and less. On the fourth evening, there was hardly anybody who wanted to talk to him. Mm. And so the next morning on the fifth day, he went out the village to pray while it was still dark and when he came back his interpreter said to him Mr. Robert you look a little discouraged what happened Robert said yes I'm a little discouraged I came all the way here to tell them about the goodness of Jesus Christ but nobody wants to listen anymore my message is not uh, getting through to them and the interpreter said I think you should tell stories to illustrate the message story that is relevant to them. And he said, I don't have any story about these people. He said to him, well, let me tell you one illustration you can use for John 3.16. So he told him a story of the tribal war, when two tribes are at war against each other, and for it could go on for months, years, and then one group decided that the time for peace has come. So they cannot sign a letter, a write a letter or dial a telephone and tell them, let's talk over for peace. Instead, what they do is that they'll carry their war drum, a huge one, to the highest uh, hills or mountain from the enemy's camp. At the rising of the sun, they'll beat the drum three times, very deliberate sound. Mm -hmm. And then if the people on the other side would respond by beating their drum three times by sundown, that means they're saying, come down, we are ready to talk to you. Mm-hmm. And the people who beat the drum first will bring with them an animal. It can be a cow or a pig or a goat. And so when they come to the boundary, they mark the line, the boundary line, and then they let the animal die on the boundary line and let the blood flow through the boundary line. And while the blood is still flowing, the chief on both sides of the tribe would place their hands on the animal and the spokesman on the right-hand side of it, so the chief will speak the terms of the peace, 
as soon as they come to understanding, the two chiefs will lean over the slain animal and embrace each other. Mm. And then the elder spokesman then said, peace has come, peace has come, peace has come three times. And then all the elder witnesses would stand and said the same thing, peace has come. And then the animal would be dressed and make it as a peace dinner, and peace has come between the two warring tribes. So that evening, Watkin Robert came back to the people and said, and told the story. And he said, we have been at war with God, mm. but God sent his son to die on the cross on Calvary, the boundary between man and God. Mm. The blood of the Son of God had flowed through the boundary line. God had spoken peace. Now the question is, are you willing to accept God's offer for peace? Mm. And that evening, five young men received Christ as their Savior. They accept God's offer for peace. You're listening to The Story. Today we're hearing a conversation that Eric Scadabo had with the late Rachunga Padaiti, who was the founder of the Bibles for the World International Ministry. Rachunga is sharing how his Ma people group from northeastern India had an amazing transformation just over 100 years ago. They went from being known as savage headhunters to becoming loving heart hunters for the Lord. We'll hear more of the story of the Ma people when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. We're continuing with a conversation Eric Scadabo had with the late Rachunga Padaiti, who was the founder of the Bibles for the World International Ministry. As we heard before the break, Rachunga is sharing the amazing story of the transformation of his people group from northeastern India. He told us how a Welsh missionary named Watkin Roberts came to their village and shared about what Jesus has done for us. Now we're going to find out what happened next. That's the beginning of the gospel. And the next day, Roberts left and said, I'll come back again soon. I am running out of supplies, and so I'll go back and come back. But before he reached the eye jaw, the, the British outpost, Colonel Locke had already issued uh, an expulsion order that he violated his orders, so he must leave the area immediately. Mm-hmm. So he never came back to send one. Mm-hmm. As a result of that, the young convert like my father, they begin to live their own life with Christ. And all the book that they had was the Gospel of John. Hmm. They memorized the Gospel of John and repeated over and over again. It was in the Lucy language. They learned the Lucy language. And so at the, how many times they repeat over that uh, book and became a part of their life. And so they begin to live the Christian life from the Gospel of John. Mm-hmm. And it just spread from one village to the other, one village to the other, until the whole mud tribe of 200,000 people became followers of the Lord Jesus Christ without any further presence of missionaries. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, and it's a, it's a magnificent demonstration of, uh, of the power of God through His Word. Long time ago, long time ago, in the jungles wild, in the jungles wild. 
Amazingly, they themselves now had translated the, the Bible in their own language, and uh, I don't think there's uh, too many tribal groups who had translated the Bible by themselves. Hmm. And uh, from Genesis to Revelation, they translated and have uh, printed over several times. Now, I take it that your father was one of the first persons to put their faith yeah, in my Jesus father Christ. Was one of the first ones, and he was, uh, you know. Uh, he had the, the good fortune of spending a month with Watkin Robert before he left the area. Mm-hmm. And during that time, he learned the Lusai language, in which the Gospel of John was written. And then he memorized the entire book of the Gospel of John. And as he walked back the seven-day trip on foot, he repeated over and over and over and over again. And so when he arrived home, they call him the gospel intoxicated young man. <laughs> and he was. And God really was demonstrating his glory and his power to our people. And we are very grateful. And today we have, uh, even though the government of India did not want to open schools, we began our own school system only in the 1950s. Mm-hmm. Amazingly, we now have, uh, have produced for India ambassadors, doctors, and lawyers and all kinds of high civil servants. And they are really, really magnificent in what they've been doing for God and for the country. It's a revolution of the love of Jesus Christ that transformed their life and in every way. Educationally, you know, even their social life has been completely transformed. And when I was uh, growing up, no one ever locked their doors. Mm-hmm. Nobody ever steal anything. Wow. And then they help each other. If uh, one family got sick and could not do their, uh, their farm work, the whole village will show up and begin to work and do whatever was needed uh, to finish the farm. And then the most magnificent thing is that they also learn to give. Well, that's just and, wonderful. But I, now I'd like to turn toward your role. Obviously, your father, as you shared, became a yeah. Christian. And did he lead you to the Lord as well? Yeah, he led me to the Lord. He was always traveling, and one time when he came back from, from the trip, uh, he said, I'm going to stay two days, and one day will be just for you. Mm-hmm. And said, what do you want me to do with you? I said, Daddy, I want to go fishing. And so we went out fishing in this big pond, and we were fishing there, and we drained out a little bit of the water, and then my father uh, threw the net and we caught lots and lots of fish. And so we cooked an open fire and broiled it. And after we had eaten, my father looked at me and said, we have become very successful as fishermen. 
but there was a greater fisherman than we are. His name is Jesus. Mm. And so he told me how uh, I can uh, have eternal life through him. And in our language, we don't have the word for conversion, so we said, I give my name to Jesus. Mm. And that was also a very significant one. During the headhunting days, nobody will ever give his name to anybody mm-hmm. because that means he's a marked man in danger of his life. So my father said to me, would you like to give your name to Jesus? I said, yes, I would. So by the river, we knelt down and I received Jesus Christ as my Savior and my Lord. And I gave him my name. And that's the beginning of my spiritual life. And from that time on, I've always felt the presence of God in my life. Whether I walk through the jungle or through the forest with the tigers and the elephants hmm. and the rhinos, I, I was never afraid. Because God's love was under the horizon. I know He's always surrounding me with His love. And this is, uh, to me, the, the greatest thing in the world, to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. Well, that was part one of a conversation Eric Scadabo had with the late Rachunga Padaiti several years before he passed away in 2015. Rachunga was the founder of the ministry known as Bibles for the World. We'll find out more about Rachunga's personal story and how he became the founder of an international ministry next time. Meanwhile, if you'd like to learn more about Bibles for the World, their website is biblesfortheworld.org. That's biblesfortheworld.org. Finally, before we end today, I just want to say that I always love to hear the stories of transformation that people share with us. But it was a special treat today to hear how an entire people group transformed, and all because of one Welsh missionary named Watkin Roberts, who actually left India thinking his time there was a complete failure. It's a perfect example of how sometimes we think our efforts to serve the Lord are in vain, but nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing ever goes to waste when we're serving Him. God uses it all for His honour and glory. However, We just might not know how until several years later. Well, thanks for joining us for part one of Rachunga Padaiti, sharing his story and the story of his people. Once again, we invite you to join us next time for part two of this conversation. Until then, I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. Watkin Roberts wanted to stay there, but before he arrived and I, the British ruler, had issued a warrant of arrest for violating the British ban on travel to this part of the country, so he must leave Northeast India right away. When I met him 40 years later, he felt like he was a complete failure. And when I told him the story of uh, my father, the conversion of our people, he couldn't believe it. Rochanga Padaiti's father was one of the first of his people group from northeastern India to become a Christian. And it was his dream that his son would one day translate the Bible into their tribal language. We'll find out how Rachunga goes on to become the founder of Bibles for the World. Next time. The story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life.